0: We have always existed, and we are still here Telling the stories of those slum-dead, we won't disappear We're taking the pen back into our own hands We live and we breathe and we keep creating Taking a stand, history is clearer than
1: Welcome to the Making Queer History podcast, where we connect our queer history to our queer present. I'm Laura. And I'm Will. And today we're going to be talking about... Michelle Cliff. Which I'm personally really excited about. I... This is another one of the articles that I haven't looked back on too, too often. So I'm sort of excited to go back to her life with Will's extensive research that they have done and my rereading of my own article yeah I'm just sort of excited to dive back into her life and Michelle yeah. Cliff is a really interesting person and a really relevant person in my opinion I think that a lot of her ideas specifically there's one quote that I want to get to feels really relevant to me right now and like feels important I think she started or like continued in a lot of discussions that are still continuing today oh 100% and yeah I feel like we can all learn a lot from her. Yeah, I definitely, definitely, definitely agree. Uh, One of the things we're definitely going to be talking about throughout this uh, podcast is light skin privileged. Which, since me and Will are both white, we're probably not the best people to talk about it. But I'm pretty much only going to say things that either Michelle Cliff has said or specifically people of color who are having these discussions, who are the experts in these discussions, have told us. So we're not going to be giving our hot takes on light skin privilege. Don't worry. (laughs) Like... Yeah. What are the news this time? The news this month. Not actually that many news things. I know everyone's sort of upset right now because Pride has been cancelled. But we're from Edmonton, so Pride was already cancelled for us. <laughs> um, sorry, that was a little, little Edmonton joke for you. little hot tea. little hot tea. But yeah, I guess like the news is we're going to be doing a lot of stuff for June. We realized Pride has been canceled and we're like, we're a queer project. We can we can do some things to make up for that. So there's going to be a lot of cool things happening in June. Me and Dean are sort of going through some things. Dean has some really fucking cool stuff in the works right now. Dean is so cool. Dean in general, is so fucking cool. Amazing, incredible, impeccable. And I'm I'm really excited for the stuff that he has planned for June. I actually haven't seen it yet. So y'all are it's amazing. I'm so excited. Will actually doesn't know what it is. I have zero clue what is happening. So, like, as I've said before, when I say that. Patreons are really the only people who get all this exclusive news. I am telling the goddamn truth. Because I don't even get to know. Will, my wife, who, yeah, no, they know everything about me except for what's going on yep. in this project that they are a part of. I'm also not allowed to become a patron though, so. Yeah, you aren't allowed because we would literally be losing money. I want the news though. You want the news. I would lose money. Will is being to discriminated against because you're my wife. Exactly. So um that's most the news actually. Let's talk a little bit about the thing that's obviously probably on everyone's minds right now: COVID-19. We're a queer project, we don't have anything to say on this to be we honest. We really don't. We really like, I feel like you have to like acknowledge it vaguely, but we don't have any hot takes for you. Stay inside if you can, but also don't forget to take walks and give like respectful distance, not just respectful, more than respectful. A disrespectful amount of distance to people. As you take your walks, we found out that Edmonton, the city that we're living in, is like apparently globally the worst city for like staying in. Inside, which makes complete sense. That sounds like Edmonton. It I... sounds like us. And it, like, we have been walking pretty much every day. To be fair, though, absolutely everyone we've encountered has kept like a really respectful distance. Most people are wearing masks. So like, maybe we'll see an upkick in cases here. The I'm hoping not. But maybe everyone's just doing it right. I don't know. Go ahead. Will. The thing for me, though, is I... I'm still working and I go to work and yeah. I have so many people coming in. That's so many
0: things. That's and so I'm like, wild.
1: what are you doing with all this lumber? Like, I know that we all suddenly have more time on our hands. But like, but come like on. are you gonna use that time to build like seven fences? Yeah, that's that's my little rant. That's my little rant. Why is everyone coming to hardware stores? In our times of crisis, we come to hardware stores and Will's not being paid hazard pay. I am not. So that's so, dumb. That's a bad, that's a bad, bad, interesting thing. But to be fair, I know I'm lucky to still have a job. Yes. So there are good things and bad things. Yes, There, there's definitely enough bad things going on in the world right now. And you know what? I think Michelle Clive's story is is definitely, specifically one quote that I really want to say I'm really excited to share with y'all, is very relevant to our times right now. Because I, as someone who really loves history and who who reads a lot about history outside of just making career history, one of my favorite genres is micro-history nonfiction which is sort of when someone focuses on one very small thing and just like follows it and follows its history. One of the things that I read recently was one on opium, which obviously isn't a small thing. It was really interesting to learn about. and Learn about the history of opium and like all the racist ideologies that had been mixed into my understanding of opium. Like I knew that I didn't know shit about opium, to be honest. I was like, before going into the book, I was like, I don't know anything about opium and I'm pretty sure all the things that I think I know about opium are just like racist ideology from where I grew up because I grew up in a really small town. So I'm I'm never gonna say any of it out loud so I'm just gonna like read a little bit I think I read two books actually about opium or maybe I just read one and a half I don't know I think I DNF'd one of them but yeah I just really really love history and I love viewing history and I learned a lot about opium by the way I'm not an opium expert or anything but I know that we shouldn't be making it illegal and instead should be treating people with addiction that's my hot take that's that I, a good hot take. Thank you. That I took it completely from my opium read, which was a really good book. Anyways, what, I, what I'm what i actually trying to say is that sort of when you're looking at history, times like these, which we are currently in, are very much times of massive changes. These are kind of the times that reveal cracks in systems that we've been letting go along too long because we're like, okay, it's a passive, least resistance just continue using the system. And people don't actually think about it. They're not like actively being like capitalism- is the best system. Even if they say capitalism is the best system, they're not actively doing the research. They're not looking into economic systems when they say capitalism is the best system. And they're not actively looking to what capitalism is because capitalism doesn't even exist in America, but that's just not a thing. It's actually a corporate socialism. But anyways, whole thing. But we see that the path of least resistance is no longer the least resistant and it's hurting everyone. And I think I'm going to make like a big, bold guess, but I think there's going to be some massive changes when this comes out and when we're all allowed out of quarantine because you know what? I've been writing letters to my representatives. I've been writing emails. My emails have been mostly based around like me begging for them to plant more trees in our area. Don't ask me why I do this. I'll just go on another long rant about another amazing book I read. Oh, by the way, this book was called To Speak for the Trees and gave me an understanding of climate change that I never had before and made me cry because (sighs) community, family, oh, No. Also, I learned recently that it's the least popular book that I've read this year because Goodreads has these stats and it's like, here's the book that like has the most reads on Goodreads and here's the book that you've read that has the least. And To Speak for the Trees has the least.
0: That is really sad.
1: It's an amazing book. Anyway, so I've been writing letters to my representatives and I think people are going to start doing that as well. I think there's going to be a lot of people writing letters to representatives and I think that should encourage everyone who hasn't currently written a letter or called someone or, you know, spit on the governor's face because he's telling you that you have to come out of quarantine and you don't want to die for your job at fucking McDonald's. I encourage you to do that now. I think now's the time. Spit in his face spit directly in his eye. It's, for me, cathartic. It's cathartic. It's activism. It's direct action. It's iconic. We actually saw graffiti on the ground yesterday saying to reopen Alberta. Yeah, and like... What? Wait. Wait, though. Do you know what else we saw? We saw stickers placed throughout our neighborhood basically being like, eat the rich. Which, do you know what? That's really heartening. That's really heartening to see in my life. So, you know what? If you can't do any of that, put some stickers up. Like, if you if you have the technology, put some stickers up around your neighborhood just being like, eat the rich. Because you know what? Even if it doesn't really do anything, someone else is going to see that and be like, huh. Yeah, we should eat the rich. We should eat the rich. Or... If, like, generally it will be only people who already agree with you. And those people realize that there are more people who agree with them than they think. Because mm-hmm. this is a, you know, it's a thing. Snowballing. Snowballing effect. Exactly, exactly. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Also, the article that I most recently wrote, I'm very proud of. Um, It has some hot takes in it. And it's about another activist who I I think is an incredible, incredible activist. It's a two-parter. It's not released yet because Dean's still working on editing it because Dean knows that I don't use commas the way that commas are meant to be used. And I do not follow... The laws given by man nor God in terms of grammar. So Dean has to like work on it for a bit before releasing it to the world. I like that you insinuated that God created grammar. Do you know what? I think God created grammar because I think his God is dead. And so is grammar? Exactly. Do you know what? (laughs) I think that there's a new thing coming in replacement of grammar. What is it? And that is question marks indicating an turn at the end of your sentence just like a higher pitch it doesn't indicate a question it just indicates like a higher like vocal note there and you know what i'm excited for it
0: okay i
1: will be here to see it happen thank you i have like six things where it's just like grammars (gasps) one of my favorite was from that like the a softer place or whatever that thing is called a softer world i don't know it's just like a cute little thing and remember grammar is like stars just echoes of the long dead. And I'm like, that's so funny. Me showing up, throwing 16 commas into one sentence, sending this to Dean confidently, and sending this meme after. That's so funny. I think that meme describes my writing life most accurately, followed along by the one that Adam Tots or whatever made, where he's like, he's making this art and he gently gives it to Instagram and he gently gives it to Facebook and he gently gives it to like Twitter and then he just like tosses it from a far height into the fiery pits of Tumblr and runs away. I'm like mood. Actually we've been having really good attractions on Tumblr lately but also we've been having not good ones where someone got mad at me for using continents. Like the geographic system of continents. Okay. I got in trouble for using continents. Alright. I don't know what it means. I don't know sometimes y'all Some of you have been so sweet and so kind on there. And that's why I go on there so regularly. But then every once in a while I see a comment just being like, screw you for talking about, con- like, for using continents as a sorting system. And I'm like, what's happening? I'm so confused. That is weird. It is. i, I I'll show you the, it's not like a verbatim that. And I'm not going to tell you what it, anyone what it is. Because I don't want anyone like going through all our things and finding the person who sent it. And sending them 16 messages being like, you hurt Laura's feelings. Because I actually, my feelings aren't hurt a little at all and i don't want this person to get sent hey they probably just like had a bad day and said something that they didn't really think about which happens i get it i feel it but <laughs> yeah i understand the meme i understand the meme pretty pretty intensely i'm just like ah oh, yes i throw creations into tumbling then i run away for like the next 20 days and then i check up on it again when i've like my confidence has like sort of recalibrated itself valid because, you know, it's a very vulnerable thing, making art. And people are like, why did you use a continent? I'm like, wait, why did I use a continent? I'm a fool. But if I check, like, 10 days after, I'm like, because continent... Oh, whatever. And then I move on. So it's like... Solid choice. It's solid balance, choice. It's
0: about
1: bal- Take a little break. Drink a little tea. Exactly. Anyways, we're going to actually dive into what we're actually supposed to be talking about. Which is Michelle Cliff. And you know what? I think that every... Every time we start our podcast, we give that one commenter who was like, too much talk about personal stuff, not enough talk about the subject, reason to have said what they said. Yeah, every time. We prove them right. They were right. They were right. They were We're not sorry. Yeah, we're going to continue being like this, but like, you weren't wrong, Mm -hmm. my good person. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyways, so let's actually talk about the subject. Michelle Cliff, who was born in Kingston, Jamaica, mm-hmm. on November 2nd in 1940s. Yes. When I reread this, I forgot, that she was from Jamaica, and I was really happy to see it because we don't have that many articles about people from Jamaica, and some of them are real big downers, so I'm happy that there's a non-downer mixed in on all those. It makes me feel better. <laughs> so she has an interesting early life. Mm-hmm. Her family was upper class. And after she was born, her both her parents actually immigrated to New York City, and she stayed behind with some relatives in Kingston for three more years, <laughs> and then she moved with her family, and then they stayed in New York for a, a little while, and then she they moved back to Jamaica. Mm-hmm. and yeah yeah it, it does sound like an interesting life and it's also like one of the things that sort of defined that part of her life was the fact that like she did have a lot lighter skin than a lot of other people in her family and that was seen like as a sort of I don't know how to describe it but like sort of privilege and like a nice good quality to have and it made her really uncomfortable as a child and she was encouraged to sort of lean into that yeah to and- be able to Uh, passes white yeah so yeah that must have been weird for her and you know what i'm just gonna really quickly i'm just gonna go ahead and say we're not gonna be talking about white privilege outside of what she says what michelle cliff says and if you want to learn more about white passing privilege i think a great book is passing by Nellie larson which discusses in depth it's a great classic check that out yeah i just don't think we should be
0: it's, it's the not ones our having place this to discussion. talk about
1: it. Yeah, this, we aren't the ones having this discussion, but this discussion is really interesting, and there are a lot of really great sources where you can learn from this. So we're going to be talking about Michelle Clist's thoughts on it, and if you are interested in it, I definitely, definitely recommend Nellie Larson's Passing. I think it was a really interesting book. So uh, Michelle started going to uh, girls only high school, and it was while she was in high school that she also read the Diary of Anne Frank, <laughs> and I, I believe she also watched a movie. Yeah, a movie related to it that confused me too. I didn't know that there was an Anne Frank, but like it makes sense. There's probably like a lot of documentaries based off Anne Frank. Yeah, so she watched a movie and she she read the diary and she got not obsessed but very intrigued and inspired mm-hmm. by Anne Frank and I believe there's a quote where she says that Anne Frank gave me the permission to write so she started writing her own diary for, which is so incredible yeah and forming it like after Anne Frank's diary and this is where she started her, her path of becoming a writer which I think is again sorry just like absolutely amazing how this young Jewish girl has inspired this young Jamaican girl through like time and space to just like pick up a pen and start writing and like both of them are such iconic names now i Mm -hmm. think that's just such a beautiful amazing thing it really unfortunately though with her diaries she stopped keeping them after a while because her family found them and broke the lock and read it out loud to them and friends and it just absolutely humiliated Michelle especially because within those pages she discussed her first crush on a girl which was obviously interesting for her to know that her family read that out loud and incredibly uncomfortable and yeah yeah the humiliation and the shame attached to that and the ostracization that she received from her family because of that because Her family didn't exactly enjoy the fact that she was queer. Yeah. And, you know, it, like, pushed her, of course, back into the closet. It also, like, pushed her away from her pen, which is a horrible thing. And, yeah. And she, I I believe I read that she actually repressed those memories Mm -hmm. so hard that she realized that it happened years later after she started writing again. Mm -hmm. Repressed memories are a hell of a drug. And, yeah, it just, like, really... Sad to know that, like, put down writing for a while because of something so invasive that her family did. Mm-hmm. A really cruel thing of them. Mm-hmm. And they all moved Back to New York City again Uh, They live in Staten Island Uh, Michelle uh, got A bachelor in in European History at Wagner College And then later she moved to London to finish Her master's in, in Renaissance Studies. And she was very explicit In this goals that she was like I wanted to do this because I wanted to Talk about who I am and where I came from I got the credentials that I needed So people would listen to me Because you know she saw that like Voices like hers were not being like promoted that we're not being respected and she was like okay i'm gonna get every signal of respectability that i can get and you're gonna have to listen to me and you know leveraging a bit of the privilege that she had in like being able to have that kind of education to being able to go to these places and have that sort of you know ideal college life to to use those things to have her voice as a jamaican lesbian woman amplified which i think is a really incredible thing to do it really is and she really dived into lifting up others voices as well mm-hmm. she works as an editor for Norton, specifically for books focused on like women history and indigenous voices and the voices of all of color yeah and and so she really dived into being able to other people as well mm-hmm. as her her own voice. She published her first work in 1980. Mm-hmm. It was called Claiming an Identity They Taught Me to Despise. And she also did have a, a pretty big hi- interest in history and, and would look and, and write about um, sort of the history of rebellions of, of people of color throughout history because she was sort of exhausted with the way that The history of people of color was sort of taught as this, like, these people were, like, just put through this shit and they weren't an active part of the history. And all these rebellions and this fighting was sort of ignored to sort of focus more on the suffering narrative instead of focusing on the fact that there were people resisting. They were just more like, you know... They just suffered silently. And she's like, they really didn't. They really, really didn't. And like, she talked a lot about these sort of failed rebellions, which I think is just like such an interesting, interesting thing to focus on. And it's where the quote I wanted to talk about comes in. And it's just an absolutely fantastic quote. Even if you didn't succeed, just to resist is important. Isn't that a fantastic quote? That is really good. That's a fantastic quote. Because yeah. The fact that just, I don't want to draw too many historical parallels here, but just the simple act of resistance is worth something, whether or not anything comes of it. Not to be like, I was a huge Le fan a couple of years back, but... You know, the June Rebellion failed. The June Rebellion that Les Mis is based off of, well, not entirely, but a big section of Les Mis is based off of and has inspired so many political actions since then. It inspired political actions in Hong Kong. It's inspired political actions all throughout the world. Like, do you hear the people saying from the musical is used all throughout different protests. The rebellion that caused that failed. They lost. But Victor Hugo was a couple of blocks away. Listening and writing, and he wrote this absolutely beautiful book that is one of my favorite books of all time, by the way. And oh, it's since that moment inspired more rebellions successful rebellions, (laughs) successful revolutions, and also it's inspired artwork that has created even more successful revolutions, like from things like the anime, which also totally exists. There's a Les Mis anime, and there's also the like obviously famous movie, and there's like the play, and then there's the musical, and there's so many adaptations of this thing that have been used to inspire people to, you know, overthrow people, which is always the mood. And I think that just, like, that sentiment is so, so important to keep in mind if you are a person working in progressive circles, if you're a queer person, if you're a marginalized person, that even if you're not succeeding, that doesn't mean your voice isn't being heard. And Michelle Cliff made sure the people who didn't succeed in their rebellions, voices were heard, and she brought their voices back into the discussion of history, which... Is obviously a really vital thing to do. Yeah. I I don't know how to follow that (laughs) up. You don't know how to follow it up. But also like Anne Frank died. Like Anne Frank didn't spark a revolution to stop the novel. But she inspired a Jamaican woman years and years after her death to pick up a pen and start writing too. And I think, yeah, just because our understanding of failure is so limited... And so misunderstood. <laughs> like, it's 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 wrong. How we view failure is, in general, wrong. And I, I just think that that's a really good reminder to have right now. Anyways, I'll let you continue on. <laughs> so, um, it feels like such a natural place to end it. But I also do want to talk about Adrian Rich. Yes, Adrian Rich was a poet who was Michelle Cliff's partner. And they met in 1975. And then they just stayed together until they died. Yeah. And they were just lifelong partners. Yeah. And they were just, like, soft and gay and it makes me really happy and while michelle really quick side note adrian rich i do believe is transphobic Is was like openly trans i will cut this out if that's not true but was openly transphobic so that's like a little quick side note adding on to the legacy not a perfect pure person but their relationship is a really nice thing to see it. yes and, and michelle formed this little community but she was also very reserved Yes. And, and pulled back. And she had lived so much of her life feeling alienated. Uh, her own mother disowned her because mm-hmm. she came out as a lesbian. And it's hard to commit to a friendship after that. It really is. And especially as she felt so connected to Jamaica. And like Jamaica was almost at the core of her identity. There's this quote saying, I and Jamaica is who I am. Mm-hmm. And so she felt so connected and tied to Jamaica, but she also didn't return to Jamaica for almost like almost twenty years, I believe, because she because she didn't have the same relationship with her family, she didn't have the same relationship with her home country, mm-hmm. and she didn't really know how to connect to it because of her identity mm-hmm. and because she had been encouraged to lean so heavily into her her uh, her white privilege mm-hmm. or her, her light her, skin privilege. her light skin privilege. And also, not only that, but, like, from outside sources, they were people devalidating the fact that she was Jamaican and that she was a person of color. Exactly. Um, one, there there was one, I think it was, like, a compilation of poetry or something that sort of discussed her that she she reacted to. And here's, here's the quote. I was reading an anthology of West Indian women writers, a prose anthology called Her True, True Name. There's a nasty swipe at me in the introduction. They say something to the effect that I am light enough that I might as well be white, which is not true. It's one thing to look at X and to feel Y, rather than to look X and feel X. And that's a part of the difficulty of being light-skinned some people assume you have a white outlook just because you look white you're met with you're met immediately on that level but it varies a great deal i felt i was included in that anthology because they couldn't exclude me but to put me in they had to make a crack about me the introduction ends with something like not many of us are called claire savage word words to that effect. It was just plain bitchy, if you want my reading on that remark, and it goes back to very old and very painful stuff. To be clear, Claire Savage is one of Michelle Cliff's most famous characters that she based us heavily off herself. She even called it almost an autobiographical account for life. And yeah... I, I, obviously that would have been really difficult to like, yeah, no, just to hear that in like something you shared your work with, but continue. And yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that would make for a very like liminal existence mm-hmm. for, for her personally and feeling like she didn't belong in any sphere. And I know she struggled really heavily with that. And so she was very self-reliant and she was very self-flecting mm-hmm. And she was very self-focused. Mm-hmm. And she put a lot of that into her literature and into all her works. Like, like Clara Savage, who was just almost entirely Michelle. And Michelle struggles for finding herself and not feeling like like a complete person. And one of the interesting things that you can know about Clara Savage's character is that she dies before coming out as a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And, like, Michelle Cliff is, like, very clear in being like, her character will never be fully done because she never came out mm-hmm. and like she was a lesbian and she was and <laughs> I'm sorry but like a character based off you who who died before coming out who is in your own eyes viewed as never a complete character that says a lot there's it, a lot there to unpack it really does so yeah Michelle had a lot of experienced a lot of animosity and a lot of shame and and just a lot of really big struggle in her life which she worked on a lot internally. Outside of externally. Which is why I feel like it's really hard to get to know her. Like, doing all this research, I was like, I I know all the things. Like, I can list off the things she did, but Mm -hmm. I don't really know her as a person. 100%. And I think that, like, another thing that... Affects that is, she changed a lot through her life, Mm -hmm. and and she would say that throughout her work. She would be like, Yeah, I'm 100% different than like I was like 10 years ago or five years ago. And I think that's a very regular thing. Like, I feel that all the time, but I definitely agree. It's she's definitely a person who was pinned, it's hard to pin down because she was very clearly the only one in charge for her own narrative. Mm -hmm. You don't really see quotes from other people talking in length about her and being like, oh that's a really authentic view of her you really see her own words and you're like this is the authentic Michelle this is all we get which you know I think we've talked about a little bit before about like how autobiographies are not really seen as a reliable source but like it's just really interesting how like different people you sort of you view their autobiographical works as differently yeah, 100%. And yeah, uh, in the end, she spent the rest of her life with Adrienne Rich. Uh, Retch died in 2012 at age 82, and Cliff died at in age 69. In 2016, so not too long ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about 2016. That was a year, wasn't it? It really was. Uh, and I wish I had known about Michelle Cliff then. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't. And, like, I wish I had known her name when we talked about all the died. But we talked about other people. Generally white people. <laughs> Generally straight white people. Yeah. And yeah, I wish her her death had been more discussed. And I wish I had known about her sooner. Because I think she is an incredible woman to know about. And obviously there's a lot of contradictions. There clearly is. And I feel like this is one of those people that you can really know from her works,
0: I mm-hmm. think. So I if do. you
1: want to get learn to know more about Michelle Cliff, her books. Yeah. I definitely, definitely agree. I have Great advice. And yeah, I think that's all we have to say about Michelle Cliff. Now- Wrecking the Queers, where we recommend things and you wreck us. So we're gonna start with a recommendation from me, because I'm so excited to recommend this. So, it's Beyond the Pale by Elena Dykewoman. Um, That is her pause, name. Pause for a second. Elena Dykewoman. That Just is like... her... That's her pen name. That's not her... Like, but that's her pen name because, you know what? She liked making people uncomfortable, and I feel that. I definitely felt that, having to say that. I was like, oh, am I allowed to say this? But, you know what? Let's go for it, right? Yeah, no, I... Like, the whole point is that people would have to say it. That's why she made that her name. All right. So, um, Beyond the, the Pale. Book. Wow, is that a fantastic book. I had it given to me in, like, maybe the most lesbian experience I've had in my life. Um, I say that as someone who, who doesn't identify themselves as a lesbian. Though, like, sapphic community vaguely where I live. I'm definitely not attracted to men. Except sometimes. Uh, it's complicated. Y'all don't need to know. But Beyond the Pale was lent to me as a gift from a friend of ours who is a lesbian woman. Absolutely amazing. Really love her. Fantastic. Iconic. Right? And we were at a vegan, like a vegan cafe, and we were about to head to Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Specifically, vegan chicken wings. Vegan chicken wings. About to head to Portrait of Lady on Fire, and then like yeah, yeah, no, that was just like, like the most lesbian. I love lesbians so much. I'm sorry, I just genuinely love lesbians so much. Also, Portrait of Lady on Fire. I know we've already recommended it, but that's it's a so good. Oh my god, that movie. Yes, incredible. I love it. Anyway, <laughs> um Beyond the Pale, and I avoided reading it because it's a thick, thick boy. And I love her. I love her so much. And I was scared because I knew it was historical fiction. And historical fiction is actually really hard for me to read because I work in history so much that I try to remove history, especially queer history, sort from sort of my my downtime. My downtime, I actually have this very strict thing where I'm like, if I'm... If I'm consuming media, it I will not watch anything with talking about AIDS. Like, I, will, I won't. I will I won't touch it. Like, I don't care if it's a metaphor. I don't care anything. I will not fucking touch it. Because, like, I cannot consume that on my downtime. It's so hard to consume in my work that, like, consuming it on my downtime just not going to happen. And this one wasn't about AIDS. This one was about a whole bunch of different things, but it's absolutely fantastic book. And I was really intimidated to pick it up. And I only picked it up after, like, I sort of forced myself to through this whole thing. And... I cried a lot while reading it. Will can attest to that. Yep. And I don't usually cry while reading books. I I, I, I really, I think there I are two books that I have really cried at, which is like um, Beyond the Pale and A Monster Calls. A mm-hmm. Monster Calls, I just like, as soon as you hit a certain page, I just start sobbing like a baby. So, you know, if you want to see me cry, tell me to read that. Like, I don't care if like, I go from like, just hanging out to like reading some of the words, I will start crying. But Beyond the Pale, it's the story of, I don't know how to explain, but like multiple Jewish Russian lesbians. And you sort of follow, I think like mostly two, like there are two main characters that you follow through a period of time of them having to leave Russia and why they have to leave Russia. And you follow them a little bit through their journeys in Russia and their lives in Russia and then, their lives outside of Russia to a certain point. And oh my gosh, it is incredible. And it's also really, it's everything that I want from a book. You know, it, it, it's very real. It's very touching. It's very authentic. It's very grounded in reality. One of the, the things I noticed throughout the book was like huge amount of like, I wouldn't even call it body positivity. I'd be like body reality, like bodies existing in a way that bodies exist Instead of bodies existing in a way that an author wants bodies to exist. Does that make sense? Yeah. Specifically male authors want bodies to exist. Because this was written by a lesbian woman. And the, the discussion of bodies is so much more authentic because of that. I'm like, oh, I actually, I recognize this. Like, I actually recognize this. And usually in reading these things, I'm like, oh, this is obviously so removed from reality that it is more fantasy than anything else but these books like felt like reality and they felt like ugh, felt so connected and i loved i loved it so much and i'm trying to like sort of describe it but like the story starts with a midwife or a person who's a girl who's becoming a midwife and then it follows her to her helping give birth like helping a woman give birth to this other child who turns out to also be a lesbian and both of them are lesbians amazing and you follow both of their lives as they are sort of intertwined and they find each other again and they meet each other again. And like how this woman becomes a mentor to her and how impactful it is to have like a woman who understands in like this deep way what this other queer woman's going through. And you sort of, it's also very realistic historically. I find um, it doesn't over-dramatize Because I think that's one of the worst things that a a historical fiction talking about queer people can do is, like, over-dramatize the homophobia the queer people experience. Because, like, 100% there was homophobia. But sometimes you read something, especially if it's not written by a queer person, you're like, you're lingering. You're lingering a weird amount on this person's pain. Specifically, their reaction to, like, homophobia and stuff. And while there definitely is, like, some side homophobia going on, It's never... I'm going to go ahead and be like, there's a lot of trigger warnings to give. Most of it actually has to do with anti-Semitism. A lot of anti-Semitism, actually. Class warfare. I don't know how to say that. But like poverty, stuff like that. Those things are talked about. But I really enjoyed that they sort of left queerness as a very natural thing. Instead of being like, they were outed in front of the whole family. And it was so dramatic. And someone punched someone and stuff like that. It was like, it was an unspoken thing that no one really knew about until... And like... One person figured out, but it wasn't dramatic and no one really, I know, it was much more realistic to what I know of lesbian history of like love that dare not speak its name. Like that's what it is. It's it's a love that people didn't talk about. And there's that own kind of pain with that, but you also got to see the beauty and the love there. And oh, I love this book so much. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. I don't know like how else to recommend it, but it's, it's actually this really amazing book from it and I really want to read it out. So I'm just going to so I'm not going to try to find the the thing within the book because it's a, it's, it's not like super long, but it's, a, I'm not going to be able to find the quotes that I love from it within it. But I, I, I wrote a letter to the person who gave it to me and I, I wrote down some of my favorite quotes in it. So I have that here. Okay. So first one, which is just absolutely sums up the book. And if you enjoy this quote, I think you should just read the book. Just pick it up. Um, whenever you tell the story of one woman inside, it is another, <sighs> And like the place that is, and it's amazing. Here we go. The second quote is talking about a woman who is married to a rabbi. And she's sort of talking about them and how he sort of talks over her sometimes. And and she's cooking while talking to a child about this. And they have their books. They can tell you anything is written. They think they're very important because they know the secret language of God. If you ask me, God speaks in onion. Okay. And here's here's the last one. Because this is a midwife. And there's like a tiny, tiny hint of like sort of magical realism within this book. Where, yeah. Yeah. This is from the midwife and mid- the midwife's partner name is Davida. Okay. Once in a long time, when a girl is born, I see that flare I saw when I first looked at Davida. This one, I think this one will be like us, even if I have no words. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. It's, ooh, ooh, this book, this book, it wrecks me and it still wrecks me. I think about it like I'm thinking about all these moments within it. That just absolutely destroyed me emotionally. And I'm like, I'm so much. And there's a lot of talk about gender and gender politics, whether that means feminism. But also there's a character who who dresses as a man so that like she and her wife can be in a relationship openly. And sort of discusses the intricacies of that in a very real way. And in a very like non-black and white way. Very looking at the grays and looking at all the blurred areas. Oh, this book, I will say you probably will cry if you read it. So like, don't, don't go into it if you're not ready for it. And I will say trigger warnings for like anti-Semitism. And I would look up trigger warnings as well. I'm not going to remember all of them, but anti-Semitism, if you don't want to read about it, don't read the book. But I would definitely recommend it. If like, if you want a really good queer historical fiction, this is an incredible thing. There are very few books like this out there. So yeah, that's my, that's my recommendation. I know I'm going to read it. Mm-hmm. I just need to finish with all the books that I'm reading right now. I'm going to bully Will into reading it. Oh, I'm I'm fully aware of this. Yeah. Yeah, that's the recommendations. We don't really have any recs. We don't have any wrecks this month. Um, We actually do have one thing that I'm waiting on because I I need to send an email out to someone because someone sent us a thing and I'm going to reply to someone on email first and then I'm going to ask them if it's okay if we talk about it on here. So maybe next month you'll get a very juicy wreck because we did something wrong. Not fully wrong, but we could have done something better. There is no factual inaccuracies we have to correct. But we can do things better. We can always that do things better. true. Yeah. And if you notice anything in this episode and the other episode, and there were articles, feel free to email us. QueerHistoryPatreon at gmail.com And we will get back to you. We always want to improve. we always going to do things right. And we will make mistakes. Just so, like everyone does. Yeah. So feel free to let us know when we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, you can follow us on social media. We yeah. have an Instagram, we have a Tumblr, we have a Twitter, we have a, a Pinterest. A Pinterest, We have an Instagram. We have a Facebook. I think that's it. And we also have a website, which is www.makingqueerhistory.com, and you can find all of those things and also our store and everything on that website. But if you want to support us and make it so it's possible for us to continue making this podcast, please just check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash history. We really got that domain. We got that first, like, we got in there quick. And yeah, we've been having, like, a lot of amazing patrons reach out to us lately. And it's been really nice to talk to y'all. I just like, like, our patrons a lot. And we have some really, really cool rewards up. Yes, and guess what? Our patrons already know this. But if you're not a patron, you wouldn't know this. We are changing the rewards a little bit. So... For a couple of our rewards, you can get a sticker off our site. But now you get the option between a sticker or a pin. You can get a pin. Queers love pins. We all do. You can we, get a pin. We love pins so much. So now you can get pins from becoming a patron. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? And then you can put it on on your jean slash leather jacket that we know you have. We know. Because we all do. We do. That's where you keep your pins and patches. Or Backpack. Or backpack. Backpacks also work. We will accept a backpack. <laughs> yes. But yes, yeah, become a patron mm-hmm. and get a pen yeah. or more. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot more that you can get. You can get a lot more. We've And also, um, another thing that happened on our Patreon is I, I got to... Uh, I finished a research book recently. Uh, it's called Lesbian Lists by Del Richards. And really fun book. Really fun read. And I got to share a lot of it with the patrons. And there's a whole, not really review, but like sort of discussion of the book on our Patreon. And I'd sort of like to do that more often. Maybe I'll make that a goal where we like have a monthly book club or something. I don't know. It'll be fun. It'll be an adventure. Either way, I... Really glad you decided to join us. And thank you for listening in today. And don't forget to resist. like Do that. Michelle Cliff told you, even if it feels like your efforts are failing right now, there might be a writer down the street listening to your revolution and being like, oh, oh. Mm -hmm. And then, like, hundreds of years from now, someone will be reading that and be like, oh, and start a podcast and start a website called Making History. I started this because of Le Mis. That's what I'm saying. Just, I did not know that. Yeah, of course I did. Obviously. I'm a fool. Le Mis 100% gave me the confidence to be like a revolutionary. Like I am I know it's like, I sort of feel arrogant to say that, but like calling myself a revolutionary, but like Le Mis gave me the confidence to make these movements and to do these things because before I was very much like, these aren't the kind of things that, Include me. Like I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. And then I read like Miz, and I'm like, Oh, y'all were y'all were you were you did not know what you were doing at all. Okay, I can do too. Let's go for it. I'm gonna have the confidence of these white men. I'm gonna have it. I'm gonna have it. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do it. And you know what? Now I have a really successful thing that like I love and adore. So do that. Do just that. Take a card out of that. Take a card out of Miz, and just be like, I'm gonna have the confidence. Of a really ill-equipped revolution from 17th century France. And if it it. fails, it fails. If it fails, just remember that your view of failure right now is absolutely microscopic. And on the macro level, you may have absolutely changed something that you will never see. Just keep that in mind. Because, yeah. Thank you so much. It a lot. Thank you so much for being incredible and for uh, listening to us. Yeah. And remember, history is queerer than you think.
0: We have always existed, and we are still here We're Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear We're taking the pen back into our own hands We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand History is queerer than you step we're taking is history in the making We hold our own future We learn from the past They've tried to remove our legacy But we are built to last So listen to the Cause they'll help us grow From Sappho to to Free.com There's always more to know History is queerer than you think Yes, we will continue